Hi there, my name's Willie Russo and you're listening to Interview with an Artist, the Gallery Edition. I'm coming to you from the land of the Gadigal and the Birribirigal people and I am forever grateful for their love and care for this beautiful country. I first met Andy Dynan from Mars Gallery because of her shoes. We were standing beside each other at the Art Gallery of New South Wales in 2022. We were there for the La Prairie Art Award announcement. One of Andy's artists, Atonga Tem, was about to be announced as the winner. There was a bit of a lull in the ceremony and I turned to Andy and I said, I love your shoes. <laughs> From there, we struck up a bit of a conversation and I have been following Mars Gallery ever since. Andy founded Mars Gallery in Melbourne about 18 years ago. And what I love about Andy, and there's many things, is that she is one of the Australian gallerists pushing really hard to give her artists international opportunities. As you will hear, she's about to head off to London for Photo London with a number of her artists. And last year, she was in Switzerland for Photo Basel. In today's episode, we talk about how Andy pushes public art opportunities for her artists and why they are so important. We talk about what the situation is like for studio space in Melbourne, how her initial naivety running a gallery has actually become her strength, the qualities that she looks for in a Mars artist and their work, and a merchandise line called Gallerists Have Feelings Too. I'm kidding. <laughs> We're not starting a merch line, but we do talk about some of the tough conversations gallerists have to have and how it can hurt them too. You will hear me launch straight into the conversation with Andy, talking to her about how I stalked her to find out she was previously an actor. Andy and I recorded this conversation earlier this year. Before we get into things, mentoring is open for May and June. If you're looking for some one-on-one -on -one support, navigating the wild world of art, by all means, book in for a session. Also, sign up for the newsletter, The Next Step. It's one newsletter, once a month, helping artists take the right next step. Now, let me introduce you to Andy Dynan. I did a little bit of a deep dive on you, but I didn't do a too big of a deep dive. You were an actor before. I was, indeed. <laughs> when did you know, okay, I'm going to go from acting to visual arts gallery land because they're both creative but they're different? Well, I was a child actor. I lisped terribly in my youth and so to help me overcome my lisp, my mother sent me to speech classes where Crawford Productions, which was a big production house in that time, saw me and cast me into a soap opera and I started acting when I was like 14. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I realised pretty early on it was a pretty tough life in and out of work acting. So I went to night school and studied. I did my Certificate of Business Communications at RMIT and opened a PR consultancy, which I later sold to Cominger some kind of 10 years later. And while I was doing PR, I started doing PR in the visual arts. I worked for Heidi and I worked for a number of arts institutions and I realised that they were my favourite clients. <laughs> and I was doing lots of extra work for them because I just loved reading about the artists. So then when I'd sold my PR company, I started studying sculpture and as I was going around art galleries, I would go, what is wrong with these people? 
why don't they talk to me about the art and why are they in these white cubes? And it became kind of my three red wines at a dinner party, I'd say, you know, if I had an art gallery and then one night driving my home, my husband said to me, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? And I went, I will. And 18 years later, here I still am. And oh, I'm my like, God. Yeah. And has it always been Mars? Yes, always been Mars. I had a gallery for 10 years in Port Melbourne and then I decided to take the plunge and I built my dream gallery. And it's an environmental gallery with the rain caught on the roof, the floorboards are recycled, everything I could do to honour the environment but also to show the type of art that I believe in. Yeah, and it's a stunning space. So it's it's a really stunning space. Tell us about the moment when you realised the role of public art in an artist's career. It's kind of weird, but I was, you know, the shows were going along and we were selling art in the gallery and, you know, we'd have a sellout show, but then the amount of money that I'd give an artist for working for a year and I just go, oh, this is wrong. You know, these people are working so hard and getting such little return. And so I started to think about how I could really help artists. And I realized that when you get an artist a public art job, it's a game changer for them. Suddenly they're working on a much bigger scale. They've got the funds to do what they want. Their confidence grows. Uh, and then afterwards they've got that income to put back into their art and their shows. And so I really decided I wanted to target developers and architects uh, to work on putting more public art, educating on culture, getting into developers' ears about how it could make a difference in a development. And so I just started really targeting developers saying, hey, if you've got a spare space, can we put a studio in there? If you've got a spare space, can we put a bit of art in there? And I've been plugging away on that for about 10 years now. And now we have one uh, person who just works on public art. And I'm pretty passionate about it because also that difference of getting culture, people living every day with culture in their housing estates or in these big developments we do, you know, that leads them on to wanting to have art in their homes and in their places they live if they're living in a development that's committed to public art. So I feel it has lots of flow on for artists. I want to touch on that studio space that you you talked about, you know, talking with developers there, you know, have you got studio space? Studio space in Sydney is really cutthroat from mm. what I hear. Um, in Brisbane, I think most of them seem to have home studios because the houses are bigger or there's yeah. Queenslanders, so you can have the underground part of a Queenslander house. What's it like in Melbourne? Is studio space a challenge as well? Yeah, I think it is. We, you get these complexes which are run by people who are carving up their development into studios and I go into them and I go, oh, how on earth do these artists work in such small spaces mm. without windows and in heat and whatever? And I've been to some where the space is actually shared where it might be an artist who during the day is working there but at night they've got a friend who's working in a, in a job they don't really love but then will come in at night and use the studios so they're sharing the space and the costs. But it is really hard and if we could get more 
markets who, you know, like you have got big markets and I could imagine there'd be spaces in marketplaces where artists could have studios, big developments where there must be like dark corners that could be turned into studios. I think that would be a really great solution. 18 years is a pretty long time to be running a gallery. What have you seen as the evolution of the role of the gallery in that time? Well, I think every gallery is different and you can feel that from the minute that you walk in. And I think for me when I started, I wanted to show naively just art that I believed in. And then, of course, I'd be crying at the openings going, what am I selling? You know, why, why, why does no one want to buy the Lynch sculpture or why does no one want to buy the, the nail clipping wall hanging? Um, I couldn't understand why they weren't selling because I just believed in the artist so much. And I, I had such a naivety when I started in this business, but I really believe that that's been a protection for me. And it's meant that I take on things and shows that often don't have commercial pull behind them, but for me they're just really important to show. And that's what this gallery is about. It's about the work. And there are shows where we don't sell anything and there's shows where we romp it in, but that's what the gallery was founded on. And I think that every gallery has a different feeling. They'll have a different reason why they started. For me, it's about you've got to find the ones that you connect with and the gallerists who you believe in, and then usually you'll get the art that they're showing as well. Who's one of the newest artists that you've had join the gallery that you've really connected with? Oh, my latest artist that was signed is Nassim Nassir. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> she is really just a fabulous artist, originally born in Tehran from Iran, and she is just a powerhouse. I've been following her for over a decade, her career, and I think what she's got to say, particularly at this moment, is so important. It's her beautifully implemented work, her own unique voice that she brings to everything she does. She meets my criteria for what a Mars artist should be. And I'm very, very excited to be presenting her new work. You also work with Atong Atem and the two of you had a fabulous year last year with her winning the La Prairiere Award up at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. And I, I feel like you two have worked together for quite a long time. Is that right? Yeah, look, again, you know, I had been watching Atong's photography and one day I was on the new section that's coming in behind the NGV. I was on a tour about the new uh, developments arts precinct there and there was this photographer walking along at the back and I went up and said, you're not Atong Atem, are you? And she said, yes. And I said, oh, you know, I've got a gallery and I just love your work. Would you consider coming and having a show with me? So she ambled back to the gallery sort of and we started talking and we haven't stopped talking since and I think that's the most important thing you know that I I really feel passionate and believe in that art that I'm showing and then for me it doesn't really matter whether you're showing in the most beautiful space or in a, a tiny white cubicle at an art fair somewhere in the world with no air conditioning if you believe in the art it gets you through and Atong will have her 
first show at the Tate Modern in July. She'll be in a show, African Contemporary. And it's been very exciting for me showing her where we didn't sell, well, that's a fib, we sold one work the first time I showed her at Sydney Contemporary. And I came home going, I, I, I don't understand. Every curator was coming up and telling me how great the work was, but it didn't sell. And it was a black and white series. And sometimes what I have learned also that it takes the market a little bit longer to catch up with what we're showing. And the artists, what they're saying, what they're showing with me is often a little bit ahead of the curve. And it does take collectors a little while to get onto that wave. And Atong was certainly that case. But I will show her along with Nassim Nasser and Scotty So in London at Photo London in May which is exciting. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, you're such a proponent for really helping your artists try and gain that international exposure and international opportunities. What drives you with that? It's a game changer. We went to Photo Buzzle. I showed a solo of a song there last year. But, you know, instead of a small arena, you're showing with the best of the best and you're talking to the best curators in the world. And it it gives you that opportunity to be talking to curators who don't have that bias that sometimes in a small town you can get here in Australia. And, you know, they're bigger voices that I'm showing. A lot of the issues we show here are global issues. And so I love putting them out on a global arena and seeing how we go. Oh, it's so exciting. I think you're right. You definitely are ahead of the curve at times with those artworks because I saw you at Sydney Contemporary with a Tonga Thames work last year and I saw a Tonga there and people were lining up to yeah. to secure that work and acquire that work. So what a turnaround from like that very first time to, to, to Sydney Contemporary last year. So it's, impressive. And I think um, another artist, Danny McKenzie, I don't know if you know her work, but I originally visited Danny's graduation show at the National Art School in Sydney and I was the only gallerist that went and made an appointment and went and looked at the work and I just stood there and just went man can this girl paint like it's dark and it's disturbing and it's you just you just I just couldn't believe what she was painting. And, you know, now, well, recently she had a gallerist fly over from London to look at her work and she's got a show coming up in the States. She's now represented by Olsen as well as um, Mars. And, you know, I just can't believe how it's taken a while, but now people are just totally getting her painting. And it just sometimes seems to take a while for people to connect with the images and realise the full message the artist is saying. What do you think makes a great or a strong artist gallery relationship? There's two things. There has to be bravery. I think the greatest thing an artist can have is to be brave and they have to show that bravery by showing the work that they totally believe in without fear. And you want a gallerist without fear that's prepared to, to pump that. And so there has to be bravery on both sides, but then there also has to be trust that when a gallerist says, no, I want to hold or I want to wait or I want to take you to whatever, I want you to spend this money on framing, it's important for your career, there has to be the trust on both sides too. 
And so bravery and trust are integral to my relations with my artists. But I also think there maybe there's a third thing, and that is that, you know, if I can't sit down and talk to my artist, really talk to them, talk to them about world issues, have a great chat and know who they are and where they're from, we're not going to have a good business relationship because you've got to have that relationship to get you through, to get you through the shows that don't sell, to get you through the nights where you've stood at an art fair till midnight till your feet are (laughs) carrying each other home drunk. You've got to have that relationship. So I'm not saying that it has to be a deep family love because there also has to be that business side. But you've got to have that ability to have a great chat with each other and know where each other stands. And I remember very early on saying, when I first started the gallery, saying to the artist Domenico Di Clario, Dom, how will I know if it's a Mars artist? Like, what if Picasso comes in and it's a bad day for me? Would I have taken Picasso on? Like, what if I had have looked at Lady in a Green Dress and gone, oh, no, it's too green? Like, you know... <laughs> How will I know if it's a Mars artist? And I remember Dom saying to me, oh, I'd sit down and have a coffee with them. And if at the end you still can't stop talking to each other about art, then you do a studio visit. And Mm. I think that's right. If I don't feel that, if I'm not interested in their minds, I'm certainly not going to be interested in their art. So there's for me there's got to be that real mental connection as well that I understand their issues and their heart and their soul and that they trust me when I'm standing the other side of the world on a stand that I can talk about it in the way they want me to. How has Instagram impacted your business and your artists? Well, I keep telling artists not to give it all away on Instagram because there does seem to be a little bit of this wanting to give it all away for a show and I keep on saying, come on, like you don't have to give away the show. We still want people to come to the show. So artists get excited and they want to share the love and I keep on saying stop it um but there are some artists that think that because they've got a lot of followers and they've got a lot of hits they're gonna be a success and that I'm going to want to show them in actual fact that has no effect on me I still want to look at the art stand in front of it hold it see it feel it feel how I feel inside about it And I don't care whether they've got millions of followers or not. That doesn't turn me on in the least. And the artists who say that they don't need a gallery because they can sell on Instagram, good luck to you. But long term, I think there's something about having a gallerist and the way we handle the sales, handle the marketing, we'll take you to fairs, we'll be there when you don't sell a work. That's the sort of team you want to be with rather than on your own sitting there Instagramming, I think. Yeah, and it's interesting. I wonder if we'll ever get to the point where an institution collects an Instagram artist, for want of a better word or phrase. I mean, I guess you could call them a self-represented artist um, yeah. as well. But I'm I'm wondering, is that time coming or is that sandstone institutional mindset of, you know, we need to and want to have seen you come through certain avenues or have that global appreciation or that curator um, stamp that that will just never happen. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. Well, 
I don't know. And I, I have artists who sell very well. We certainly sell works just by Instagramming them. And sometimes if I'm bored, you know, I'll do that. But I feel it's not the artists that I'm looking for that I want to work with. The artists I want to work with, they're in their studios. They're, they're thinking, they're researching, they're studying. That's how you build long careers, not by just sitting there and Instagramming image after image. Oh, it's not the sort of people that I seek out to work with. Yeah, and it's funny. Like there was obviously an art world long before Instagram. I think Instagram's going through this funny phase at the moment and I wonder what the evolution of that is over the next 12, 18, 24 months. And it could be the NFT thing. I mean, how many people kept asking me, was I going to sell NFTs? Was I collecting NFTs? Uh, and now, I don't know about you, but nobody, none of my artists are making them and none are talking about it or, or I don't think I have any collectors in who are dealing with them. NFTs seem to have disappeared. Yeah, well, I think like the crash in the crypto <laughs> has um, has definitely pulled the rug out of an aspect of the of the NFT market. But I don't know, Instagram, we can all make one image look good on Instagram. But can they paint you 14 yeah. exceptional paintings for a show? You know, it's, it's a different calibre. It's a different mindset, I think. And, and there's nothing wrong with making a living like that. If that's the sort of career you want as an artist, then that's great. But it's not why I opened a gallery to work with artists who are selling on Instagram. Andy, can a gallery be full? Yes, a gallery can be full. I look at some galleries and they have so many artists. And I have nothing but admiration for them because I don't know how they do it and keep up with everyone. Personally, I love knowing who's pregnant. I love knowing <laughs> who's going off to wherever. And I love knowing who's in their studio working on what and what their next event is and what they're aiming of doing with their lives. And if I have hundreds of artists, I can't do that. So for me, the level and the number of artists I've got, I'm very happy with. I'm always looking at art every day and looking at Instagram. You know, I'm interested in the new, the young and the hot, but I don't desire a gallery with a very long list. I'd mm. much have a, a small gallery with a small stable that I truly believe in and have one beautiful work in my stock room than have... 100 artists listed and 100 mediocre works down there. So I don't know. It depends what sort of gallery you want. And there's horses for courses. And what some gallerists' success of turnover might be 10 times what mine is. And that's okay. I don't believe there's any competition. There's plenty of artists out there and there's plenty of galleries. It's about how you want to live each day in your life. And I want to, given that I might only have 20 years left on this world, I want to fill my life with artists I believe in and works I believe in and show things that are really important for now. And I don't know if having 100 artists on my books, I could do that. What would you say to Andy 18 years ago starting the gallery <laughs> with your knowledge that you have now? I wish I had thicker skin. You know, yeah, the number okay. of times people have talked to me off throwing myself off the top of the building where either artists have told me how disappointed they are and I've cried and cried or 
collectors haven't bought or they've reneged. It's a heartbreaking. And the funny thing is artists think that they're the only ones feeling it, but we are just as heartbroken. And, you know, you don't put a show on unless you totally believe in that artist. So we are just as heartbroken. And years ago at our installation show, I made a sign that said, gallerists have feelings too. Because sometimes people forget that. You know, the number of people that at parties have said to me, oh, you know, I've come to your gallery and there's nothing that I'd put on my wall. And I think, how do they think I'm going to feel about them after? I know. <laughs> you know, um, or, and it happened to me last Saturday night. Somebody said to me, what's your most famous artist? And oh. you know, have to bite me because that's not what I live by. You know, and I said to them, oh, you, you know, you probably wouldn't have heard of any of them. I think it's a heartbreaking industry and no one told me that 18 years ago. The amount of smoke and whispers and mirrors and I foolishly have been very transparent and just very open. And I think that I wish I'd known then about the heartbreak and the meanness that I've seen. Gallerists have feelings too. I feel like there's a merchandise line there. <laughs> Definitely. I remember at one art fair, you know, at the end, you have to put up what you actually sold. And I filled my form in and I left it sitting up on the table because. I honestly think if you walked around and got catalogues and looked, it wouldn't be too hard to work out. And another gallerist came along and said, turn to the form over so that the, the side where I'd written the figures wasn't up. And they said, oh, don't leave that up. And I said, oh, well, it doesn't matter. And they said to me, oh, you didn't tell the truth, did you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, didn't you? Because, you know, if you added up, if you looked around my stand, you'd know what I sold by the dots, whatever. And they said, oh, no, no one ever tells the truth at a fair. And uh, (laughs) that was kind of my first introduction. That was my first fair. And uh, so, yeah, I wish there were a lot of things I had known 18 years ago. What's the role of the art fair today? It's an entertainment complex. Mm. it's where you can take your kids and do some craft. You can see a great performance. There's a bar on a Friday night to get drunk in. And there's usually two or three good restaurants there as well. I think that a fair should be used to have a good look at what galleries are showing what artists to educate your eye. But I don't necessarily think people should buy at fairs. You should use it a way of seeing who represents who and to learn about which gallerists you like and who you want to go back and actually see their gallery. I never recommend to clients that you rush in and buy at a fair because I think the best way to buy art is to stand with a body of work and to see which works speak to you and which are the best implemented works that appeal to you and to research the artists. So I say use fairs for research and for for training your eye to judge a work. Yeah, I love it. What's one of your favourite fairs around the world? Um, I think Basel is amazing. But I think Basel's amazing by the small number of fairs. You know, there's five other fairs going on. So you can go to List, you can go to Volta, you can go to the Photo Fair, and then you can go, if you've got enough money to spend, go to Art Basel. But I think it's a great way of seeing a global snapshot of what's on sale where all at once. 
And locally, I think Sydney Contemporary is really fabulous. Everybody brings out their big guns. So you get a chance to really see who's hot and judge which galleries you want to make a visit to. Everyone has, well, I like to think everyone has a story about the one that got away. Yes. (laughs) Have you got a story about an artwork that got away? (laughs) I have, and I, I bring it up regularly to my husband. In my youth, I was employed as a art consultant to a telephone company, Ericsson Mobile Phones. And you're probably too young to know. No, I remember those. I remember them. <laughs> they had a flip phone and they hired me yes. to put together their flip series. And there was Olsen and there was an artist, Howard Arkley. And we could have bought them at a very reasonable $8,000 each for works. And they were of houses. And I came home and said to my husband, look, you know, I really think this artist, I really think we should get one. And I'll never forget it. He looked at them and he goes, oh, but Andy, we're pulling down those houses, those old Jennings houses as quickly as we can. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, but I really think we should buy these. <laughs> and, of course, now they're, you know, a million and a half or whatever they're worth each. So anytime I want something now really, really badly, A, I don't show my husband, and B, if I have to, I cite that case. <laughs> Oh, Andy, I love it. That's a good one. That's a yeah, really that good one. The Howard Arkley series that got away. Oh, my goodness. What are you excited about in 2023? I am really, really excited to be going to Photo London. We'll be the only Australian gallery there, and I'll be showing Nassim Nassar, Scotty So, and Atonga Tim. And I think they're global voices, and it's great to be putting them out there. And I'm also really, really excited because at Melbourne Now, which is a show that the NGV are putting on, we have six artists who are showing in that. And I'm very proud of them. I'm really proud of them. And most of them are working on a big scale and doing some pretty fabulous new work for the NGV. So uh, that's what I'm excited about. Andy, thank you so much for joining us on Interview with an Artist, the Gallery Edition. I'm a huge fan and I very much look forward to seeing where Mars goes over the next few years. Thank you. And thank you for all that you do. You know, I see you on Instagram and I think you're amazing and the way you support young artists. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Andy. (laughs) 